to open up your Bibles to uh, the book of 2 Kings in chapter 6. Now we're reading here about a time, uh, uh, probably about a hundred years before the nation of Israel went into captivity under the Assyrians. We're not talking here about the, uh, uh, the kingdom of Judah, but the actual ten tribes uh, of Israel. Uh, and uh, as I say, about a hundred years before they went into captivity. And we're reading about a time when there was conflict with not the Assyrians, but Syria, uh, the country of Syria. And uh, there was a war between them. And we read in verse 24, And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, that of course is uh, Pastor Chad's and Pastor Phil's brother, uh, king of Syria, uh, gathered up all his host, uh, and he went up and he besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for four score pieces of silver and the fourth part or a quarter of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. This is what they were eating at that time because they were starving. The city was besieged and they were starving to death at this point. And, the, and as the king of uh, Israel uh, uh, passed, uh, uh, was passing uh, upon, uh, by upon the wall, there cried uh, uh, a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, Well, if the lord does not help thee, how can I help thee? Out of the uh, barn floor or out of the uh, wine press? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? What's the problem? And she answered, This other woman said unto me, Give me thy son, that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son, and we did eat him. And I said unto her the next day, Give thy son, that we may eat him, and she hath hidden her son. And it came to pass, when the king heard the words of the woman, that he rent his clothes, and he passed by upon the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he was—he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. So we get this picture here of just an abject, hopeless situation of total despair. Samaria here, the city, was looking into the grave. They were besieged by an overwhelming and very warlike people. They were overrun in numbers by the, the, the army that was surrounding their city and besieging them there. And inside the city, they were consumed with famine and disease. This was a hopeless situation. They weren't just having a bad day. This was as bad as it could possibly be for any person. There was no remedy. There was no way out. There was no hope through any natural means in all of this. And in the midst of all this despair, an answer came from God. We read uh, in the next few verses, we won't go through it particularly here, that uh, the king, who was very ungodly, uh, we read that uh, uh, he uh, uh, was blaming Elisha, the prophet, uh, uh, for uh, what the ill that was befalling them there. But we go on to read perhaps in the next chapter there, he called Elisha uh, into his presence. And then we go on to read there uh, in uh, uh, chapter 7 and verse 1, then, uh, then Elisha, in the presence now of the king and his lords and so on there, said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time 
shall a measure of fine flour be be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. There'll be plenty of food tomorrow and it'll be at a reasonable price. They'll almost be giving away their food tomorrow is what he said to the king and to the lords that were there. Now, this was plainly ludicrous. This was obviously ridiculous. There was no set of circumstances that would would unfold there that would make this to be able to happen there. In fact, in the next verse, we'll come to it in a moment there, there was somebody who reacted to the absurdity of the statement that Elisha made. And probably he wouldn't have been alone in that assessment. Probably everybody in that room thought, this guy's lost it. The hunger's got to him. He's hallucinating. He's, uh, well, goodness knows what's going on there. An abundance in 24 hours. We're reduced to eating the heads of donkeys and our own children at times. It can't be done. It's impossible for this to happen here. But the king and those people in his presence here at this time and all of Samaria would have done well to remember who had just said this. This was Elisha, the prophet of God, the man of God. This was Elisha who had smitten the river Jordan we read uh, about the time when he and uh, uh, Elijah went over the river and he came back on his own. He smote the river and it parted for him. And he walked across the river Jordan there. It was Elisha who healed the poisoned waters that we read of a little later on in the story of Elisha there. It was Elisha who prayed and multiplied the, the oil that the widow had and so that it never ever ran out. The abundance just kept coming for her. It was her, it was Elisha there who, who raised a, 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 a son of a, a particular Shunammite wood, a woman there uh, from the dead. He raised this child from the dead. It was Elisha who healed Naaman of an unhealable disease, the leprosy that was smiting him at that time there. It was Elisha that caused a, an iron axe head to float something impossible, out of it's out of this world stuff. And of course it was Elisha who at one point in his life was surrounded by chariots of fire when Elijah was taken up into heaven. This was Elisha. He was worth listening to and taking hold of what he said. And what were his opening words there? Hear ye the word of the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord. And those words were the things perhaps that provoked the the derision and disbelief and the scorn. Hear ye the word of the Lord. And uh, that's always been good advice. It's good advice to those that follow the Lord. It's good advice for everyone. Hear the word of God. Don't just hear it, live it. Take it in and make it the foundation of your life. And we can trust then that if God says, I will give an answer, then God will give an answer. Way back in the book of Genesis, in the very beginning there, we read about the various stages of the creation of God. 
And it says there that God said, let this happen. Let the, let the heavens be formed and let the earth be formed and let the, the things upon the earth be formed. And at the end of each one of those commandments, it says, and it was so. That's the way it was. God spoke and it was so. And, uh, uh, well, hallelujah. The foundations of our universe spoken by the word of God, promised by the word of God, and it was so. Now, we're going to read there in the next uh, verse there. And then the Lord, uh, oh, we read about this guy here. Um, oh, we'll, we'll see what uh, Elisha had to say to him. Uh, verse 2, and then the Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And uh, he, Elisha, said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. Next verse. And there were four leprous men at the entering of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? And so we're now introduced in this story here to four people that we were considered to be nobodies in this. They were outcasts. They were lepers. They were unclean, unclean. They were uh, rejected by the city there. And only sitting in the gateway there because the city was under siege. They should have been outside the city. But uh, uh, they uh, chose not to be because uh, of the dangers involved and so on there. And these four people become the heroes of this story. Now we shouldn't be surprised by this. The Bible is full of stories where the people that end up being the heroes are the downtrodden or the poor or the despised or the distressed or the afflicted and God lifts them up even to the point of saving others. That's what God does. In 1 Corinthians we read, For you see your calling, brethren, how, how that not many wise, uh, wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That's how God does things. He raises up for his own purpose. And... uh and hallelujah, that's what he did in this situation here. We, we read there, uh, we read there in verse three, how that they said, well, why are we sitting here? We're going to die if we stay where we are. And, uh, they carried on the conversation, speaking amongst themselves. If we say, we will enter into the city, uh, go right into the city of Samaria, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. If we sit he- still here, we shall die also. Now therefore come, Let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. We're going to die anyway. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and a noise of horses and even the noise of a great host or a great army. And they, the Syrians, said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and they fled in the twilight. 
Notice the timing there. When the lepers decided to get up and go, that's when the, the Lord made this great noise to have happened in the ears of the people there, the enemy, and they fled. It says they left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and they fled for their lives. Everything changed in the twilight when the lepers decided to go forward because they had nothing to lose. Hallelujah. In verse 8, And when those lepers came unto the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and they did eat and drink. They couldn't believe it. They found all this stuff there with no none of the enemy there whatsoever. Everything just there. And so they went into one tent and they did eat and drink and they carried out thence uh, silver and gold and raiment uh, and they went and hid it. They can come back to it later on. They, they, all these riches there. And uh, came again and entered into another tent and they carried out thence also and they went and hid it. Then said one to another, we're not doing well here. This is a day of, uh, this day is a day of good tidings and we are holding our peace. If we tarry until the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell all the king's household all the things that have happened here. We must tell people about this, about our provision, about the way that we've obviously been saved out of this. And so uh, we're going to read there in verse 10. And so they came and they called unto the porter of the city and they uh, told him, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians and behold, there was no men there, neither the voice of a man, but the horses uh, horses were tied and the asses tied and the tents as they were. And uh, the the porter of the city there, he called the other porters, uh, or the guards, uh, and they told it to the king's house within. And the king arose in the night and he said to his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore they are gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field and say, uh, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and we'll get into the city. He thought it was a trap. And one of his servants answered, uh, let us, uh, uh, let some take, I pray thee, five, uh, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. These are the horses, of course, that had survived being eaten so far. Uh, they were fairly anxious, these horses, I can imagine. Uh, but uh, uh, So this guy said, let's go and get these five horses. And behold, they are, uh, as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, behold, I say, they are even as all the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed, let us set, ascend and see. And so they took two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of the Syrians, saying, go and see. So he sent out some spies to spy it out there. And they went after them all the way to the river Jordan. And lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. In their hurry to go, they'd thrown away everything. All of their wealth and riches they'd thrown away. And the messengers returned and they told the king. And so the people went out and they spoiled the tents. That means they took uh, of all the riches from within of the enemy there. They spoiled the tents uh, or took a spoil of the tents of the Syrians and then so a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for the sh- for a shekel and then those wonderful words there, according to the word of the Lord. According to the word of the Lord. No matter who says what, no matter who mocks and scorns, God's word 
will come to pass. It will happen. It's true. And if God's word was true back then, surely it's true now. Surely truth can't be bound by time. If something is true, it's true forever. And that's just what I, I really want to think about now in this, because this is not just a, an interesting and exciting and a, a, a sort of warm, fuzzy feeling inside your type story. There's a bit more to it, I believe, than this. There's a tremendous type in this story, I believe. Let's consider for a moment the, the position of the inhabitants of that city that night. Okay? They were in the city there and they believed themselves to be besieged. They saw themselves as being imprisoned in their own city. They had guards on the wall because they were afraid of what lay outside. Everybody went to bed that night in the city believing that their death was imminent. They were going to die possibly that night. But the reality is there was not one soldier outside that city. They'd fled. They'd gone. They set guards on the walls to protect themselves and protect their city from a non-existent enemy. An enemy that was no longer there. Instead of fearing and crying and in distress and despair, they should have been shouting for joy. But they didn't know. They didn't know what God had done. They didn't know that there was hope. They didn't know that they had actually experienced a salvation from God, being saved from their circumstance by God. They had no idea that God had indeed provided plenty for them. They were probably, as they went to sleep there, they probably hoped that they would go to sleep fairly quickly because their hunger pains were immense. And they were just going to lie there and be hungry and so on there. Yet only a short distance away was more food than they could possibly even imagine. Just, a, I don't know how far it was, maybe a kilometre or something outside the city or whatever there. They were starving, but they were in the midst of plenty. Now this is a, a strange situation that we read of here. They had no idea of what was going on. A city was besieged, but it was not really besieged. They were surrounded by enemies, but there was really not one enemy there. They were starving, but a feast was just down the road. That's what unbelief can do. That's what scorning and mocking the word of God can do. That's what, uh, uh, well, the, the uh, believing and trusting in, in, in a, a worldly king can do. It can make you so that you, you, you're overwhelmed by all of that. And this is very much, I believe, a picture of a, a world around about us. Just a quote here from the book of Amos. Behold, the day is come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. A famine of hearing the word of God. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and they shall not find it. I believe we live in a generation and in a world, maybe every generation's been like that, but certainly now is that time. It's talking about our world, of a shortage of the word of God, of a famine of hearing the word of God, of a thirsting for the things of God that is unsated. 
and uh, and no uh, fulfillment in any of these things here. It's talking here about a time of famine and thirsting for truth and for purpose and for hope and a future. Maybe uh, not really realizing it, but but a, a famine there of uh, of people's desires there for regeneration and for salvation. We live in a world that is searching. They're trying this and they're trying that and, and uh, we're living in a world that is starved of righteousness and purpose. A world uh, that is besieged by hopelessness and despair. If you don't believe that to be true, just look at the headlines of any situation pretty well that you can, you can consider in a, a news feed or whatever. Yet there is an answer. And it's not far away. The answer for the uh, uh, Israelites was not far away. It was just outside the walls there. The answer in our time is a book that we're all familiar with. It's the Word of God, the Bible. A book that everybody can lay their hands on if they really wanted to. And it's a saviour that everybody knows. Everybody knows the name of Jesus somewhere along the line. Maybe to most people it's just a swear word. But everybody knows of him. In fact, in the book of Acts, I was just considering that uh, before the meeting there, there's a passage there where the Apostle Paul, uh, I think he's in Athens at the time, and he's talking about people seeking the Lord, and it says there, because he be not far from us. He's not far from us. It's just a prayer away. It's not far away at all. And so we want to echo the words of Elisha there in the first verse of that chapter 7 there, Hear the word of the Lord. Let's get back to basics. Let's get this sorted out. Let's uh, uh, take hold of uh, what that Bible says because the Bible, this book we have in front of us here, I believe could tell us now that in a besieged, starving city as we are, you can have an abundance. You can have an abundance of all manner of things. Let's go over to uh, John chapter 10. The Gospel of John, chapter 10. John 10 is a, a great chapter, and, and just considering what we're going to consider in a moment, John 9 actually goes through the healing of a blind man. The whole chapter is devoted to that, and pretty well the whole chapter of chapter 11 is uh, de- uh, devoted to the raising up of a dead man called Lazarus. And so sandwiched in between these incredible miracles, there's some words that Jesus spoke about being the good shepherd and, and one thing and another. We won't go through uh, the whole story here, but just one verse. In verse 10, the thief, uh, he's talking here about the devil coming in and so on and uh, uh, not being uh, the true shepherd. The thief uh, uh, cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus then said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, this is a promise. Hear the word of the Lord today. This is a promise from God. A great promise in a world that's starved of truth. In a world that's thirsting for for joy and meaning and unable to find it there. The Bible says to that world, you can have an abundance. You can be overflowing. Just elsewhere in the book of John we read when John's, uh, when uh, Jesus spoke to uh, the woman at the well in John 4, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. In John 6 we read, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, 
He that believeth on me shall never thirst. The Bible says that we can have a peace that passes all understanding, all of our natural reasoning, all of our natural uh, uh, comprehensions of things. A peace that's not given by natural means. You can find a truth. A truth, as the Bible says, that will set you free. You can have that. It's not some sort of a vague thing that happens elsewhere and on the other side of the world or whatever there. It's a truth from this book, a truth in Christ. Now, the question, of course, is, well, how do we find that? Well, I think we've got to do what the lepers did. They left the city. We've got to leave this city. Now, I'm not talking about everybody as soon as the meeting finishes here, packing up, going home, packing up all your possessions and leaving Adelaide. Uh, you probably won't get far the way things are at the moment anyway, but uh, 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 it's not, I'm not talking about a geographic location as this city there, but a spiritual condition, a spiritual city that we're all, every person on this planet has lived in or is living in at this moment there. We've got to leave this world and go beyond, go outside of the city, leave the city. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. It's fairly blunt, isn't it, really? To be worldly minded, to not have a mind on Christ, to not have a, a, a mind that would hear the word of the Lord is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. I think we heard these scriptures yesterday. For it is yet, uh, for it is uh, not subject unto the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Our own fleshly way, our own abilities, our own strivings, our own religion, we cannot please God. What's the message from the verse, this verse here? You must be born again. We must be inspirited. By the power of God. And uh, we're going to read there, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man doesn't have the spirit of God, of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies or enliven or regenerate or revive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Hallelujah. If we stay in this city, this natural state, this natural condition, we will die. It says that in verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the uh, through the spirit you do mortify or put to death the uh, the deeds of the body, you shall live. So if we stay in this state, as we're born into, then we'll die, we'll starve, we'll be overrun by the enemy. We must be regenerated. And of course we know how that happens. For those that may not be aware, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, we read about the time when people were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's the experience that there was 2,000 years ago. 
You know, I often think that people will come up with all sorts of alternatives. There was an Old Testament, there was a New Testament. The Old Testament revolved around laws and uh, and uh, uh, statutes and commandments that had to be kept and sacrificed and all that sort of thing. The New Testament was ushered in through Christ and his promise was that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in other tongues when they received the Holy Spirit. There's been no Third Testament. That second one still applies. It will apply until the day the Lord comes back. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak in other tongues. That's the way it is. Now, we might argue with that. Bad luck. I don't like your chances on the day the Lord comes back of taking up that argument. It's the way that the uh, the Lord set it out and the way that the Lord uh, made it to be. It's the way it is. It's what the Bible, if we're going to hear the words of the Lord, that's what the Lord says. That's what his word says. That's the Bible way. That's the escape route out of this city. The Bible actually talks about us escaping, escaping the corruption of the world through the Holy Spirit. It talks about us escaping the pollutions of the world. What a a wonderful thing it is to have an escape route out of such a messy place and a horrible place. You know, way back in the uh, the garden, uh, we read in the book of Genesis there of Adam and Eve, uh, they were dabbling with the, 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 the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here we are, 6,000 years down the track, still trying to collect that fruit. Collecting the fruit that was on that uh, particular tree. Hoping to find uh, immortality. But it doesn't work. The more of that uh, fruit that we consume, that knowledge of good and evil that we consume, the worse things get. And what do we do? What's our answer to that? Let's climb that tree a bit higher and reach out a bit more for that elusive piece of fruit. That's what we do. And the whole time, there's another tree alongside the tree of life. Christ, the Word of God, the plan and purpose of God, the love and grace and mercy of God. Israel was exhorted by uh, various prophets there. One that came to mind was a a prophet uh, called Haggai who just said to Israel at one time, Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Think about how you do things, about your life and so on. Let's go uh, back to the Gospel of Mark. Mark, chapter 1. Mark 1. Just have a look at some people that left their city. Not literally leaving the city, but their world, as it were. And they were, of course, the disciples of Jesus Christ. Some of the first ones here we read about in verse 16, Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Now we read here, Now as uh, he, that's Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And uh, uh, Jesus said unto them, uh, come, un- come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets, and they followed him. They left their city. They left what they knew and they followed him. Verse 19 says, And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in a ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants, and they went after him, after Christ. He called them, and they left, and they followed him. 
just like to read that verse, verse 20 from the Amplified Version, and it says, And immediately he, Jesus, called out to them, and, and then it says, Abandoning all mutual claims, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and went off after him to be his disciples, to side with his party, and to follow him. They abandoned all mutual claims. Now, that may seem like a strange way of putting things there, but it seems to refer to turning a back, turning your back on, on a natural inheritance, upon natural riches. In verse 20, where it says there, uh, they left their father. The word left, uh, is, uh, a Greek word. Hopefully I'll get this right. There <laughs> you go. Uh, aphemi. I don't know if that's right or that's wrong. And I'm not going to look over there because, uh, it won't do me any good. <laughs> but that word, one of, one of the Bible dictionaries I read of that word means to depart from one, uh, from, from one, from a person and to leave him to himself so that all mutual claims are abandoned. They left their father. They left the world that they knew. So that all mutual claims that they might have as a result of being a part of that world, being a part of that partnership uh, in, in this situation here, but a, 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 maybe a type for us, a, a partnership with the world, then that what we stand to inherit from that, we abandon that. We le- They left the world and they left its inheritance. What was the inheritance they left? If, if we're looking in type here, in a spiritual sense here, beyond the dollars and cents of a business and that sort of thing there. What was the inheritance? What What is the inheritance that we leave when we come to the Lord? What's, what is it? What's our future? Surely it's death. <laughs> it's the grave. When we come to the Lord, we turn our back on the grave. We turn our back on death. And the Bible talks about us clothing ourselves with immortality. We're going to live forever. Hallelujah. And how does that happen there? How can we do that? Well, the answer again is given to us. I think Danny Collett mentioned this uh, in the prayer and fast yesterday. In verse 17 there, Jesus said, I will make you. I'll make you. He makes us to overcome. He makes us to be a partaker of an abundant life. We don't make ourselves. We don't take hold of that ourselves. But God makes us. Over in verse 36, we read there, And Simon and they that were with him followed after him, after Christ. Simple verse. Again, in the Amplified, it says, And Simon, uh, Peter, and those who were uh, were with him followed Christ. And then it says, Pursuing him eagerly and hunting him out. They sought him out. They didn't just, it wasn't some casual sort of, uh, 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 I'll follow you, you know, on a Sunday. For the rest of the week, I'll follow somebody else. Now this was, this was eagerly hunting him out. At every opportunity. And Peter and James and John and Andrew and all the others that we read of in the scriptures there, they had seen astonishing things. They had seen the impossible happening up until this point there. And they come to the conclusion, thou art the Christ. And that changes everything in my thinking. The whole world and universe 
have been waiting for thou art the Christ. Maybe that's the way we should see our world. We were just waiting for that revelation in our life through the Holy Ghost. Thou art the Christ. And these people, uh, they went on, they found uh, uh, plenty, they found uh, an abundance, uh, and they were determined never to be separated from him. And that's what happened. For the next 50 years, for most of them, for John, I think it was probably close to 70 years, they followed him. They eagerly hunted him out to be with him. Throughout all their difficulties, throughout all the problems, and they had multitudes of problems come their way for their faith. They end up giving their lives for the gospel. But every mountain there that they were called to climb, they were able to climb because the Lord had called them on that journey. Now remember those four lepers. He started off, remember, remember that story way back there? It was hours ago now. But uh, those four lepers there, they found themselves with all the riches and all the provisions there, more than they could ever imagine. And they thought, we can't keep this to ourselves. We do not well. We cannot hold our peace. This is a day of good news. We must go into the city and tell them. Tell them the enemy is defeated. Tell them that he's gone. Tell them the famine is over, that there's an abundance, there's an unbelievable abundance. Come out into the field and see. That's what they were told. That's what they told each other to do. That's what they exhorted each other to do. And that, of course, is where we come in. The gospel. We might not know all the answers to absolutely everything, but I think we can all say to somebody when we're telling them about the things of the Lord, come and see. Come on Sunday. Come on Wednesday. Come to a house meeting. Just come and see. Come and check it out. And how often do we hear people, they, they, they come to a meeting and uh, they'll say, uh, they often say, I don't remember anything the preacher said, which is a great encouragement to us that stand up here. And, uh, and, uh, uh, but uh, uh, often, though, people will say, I just felt at home. I just felt like I belonged. Somebody said something. They sang something. There was a gift in the, uh, in the gifts of the Spirit that said something. Maybe the preacher did say something that stuck in my mind. Whatever. Just come and see is our invitation. All the people said. Amen. 